2020 has been an unprecedented year and that allowed for an unprecedented season of Formula One. Many things changed and some things stayed the same. Either way, we were entertained and in this edition of ESPN's F1 podcast, we'll recap some of the best and worst moments and we'll see who makes Nate and Lawrence's naughty and nice lists for Christmas. But first, we get into some more breaking news that stole the headlines this week. Well, as usual, we definitely have to pay off some of the news stories and we got some juicy ones because we finally got the answers to two questions that we have been asking for some time now on the podcast. Number one being, will we really have to go an entire year without seeing Sergio Perez in Formula One despite an amazing year? And the second question being, what's going to happen to the future of Alex Albon? Well... We finally know, guys, and in some a bit of an explosive breaking news that I honestly will say straight up I did not expect. Um, we now know that Sergio Perez will indeed be pairing up with Max Verstappen at Red Bull come next season. And Alex Albon will have to look for 2022 to get a seat. He'll be the reserve driver instead. So this is, like I said, something that we have been talking about. Um, Nate, I believe I texted you first because... I said, how do we feel about this? Because we do respect Alex Albon so much and his talent. But I suppose overall, it, it, it was coming and it still is a bit bittersweet, isn't it? It is. But if you look at it purely as which of them deserves a seat more, it's Perez all the way at the moment, given what he's done. You know, I think Albon probably will get, hopefully will get another opportunity. Um, but yeah, I'm the same as you. I was quite surprised by it. I didn't think Red Bull would do that. I thought that they would stick to their guns about you know, what they've previously done. And we've talked you know, a lot on this podcast about how we thought that was the wrong decision. So I, I'm really surprised they did it. I'm pleased they did it as well, because if Perez is closer to Verstappen, we all know what that means in terms of putting Mercedes under more pressure. Um, and yeah, I mean, it is easy to look at it and be like, oh, it's such a shame for Albon. But at the same time, he had a whole year in that seat and a lot of drivers would have, you know, would have happily taken that seat and had that He's had a year and a half in the second best car on the grid. Um, yeah, and just hasn't really got close to it. I, I do wonder how different things would have been for him had he won in Austria. That's a fascinating, you know, in the first race of the season when Lewis knocked him out of the race. Would that have changed his confidence? Would would anything have changed? He might have just had the same run afterwards. Um, but yeah, I'm sure he'll come back if, if you know, if there's the opportunity. Um, but great news for Perez because I couldn't imagine a year where you have a guy who won the penultimate race of this season suddenly just not being on the grid next year it wouldn't have felt right so um yeah positive news in my opinion positive news all around positive news indeed um Lawrence what did you make of it did it kind of catch you by surprise as well just because it was I keep saying it if you compare it to like football and you know when you talk about managers under pressure and they get that dreaded vote of confidence from the board and says no we still believe in so and so I felt like that was what was happening with Alex and we kept questioning how Red Bull seemed so unfazed by the pressure that was mounting so were you a little surprised like the rest of us yeah definitely um i if you'd asked me going into the final three races who's got the seat i think i probably said on this podcast it is most likely going to be alex albon so i agree with nate i think it was the right decision in the end and um in fact the way they went about it was probably correct as well because they gave alex every chance to prove himself in the car and his final race in Abu Dhabi was actually quite good. And that's one positive state from this is that he signed off with a, with a pretty positive race by his standards this year, um, which is good for him to take into that reserve role going forward in the hope that he, well, from his side, that he gets back into 
Formula One. So I think, you know, they, they tried to give him every chance. They tried to back him as much as possible. I think it's a much better way of dealing with it than perhaps they did with Pierre Gasly in 2019, when, of course, Alex Albon uh, got promoted uh, midway through the season in the summer break that year, and Gasly went down a step. Um, that's perhaps the only surprise, is that Alex, it was an all-or-nothing thing here, so he either had the Red Bull seat or nothing. Of course, Red Bull also in Alpha Tauri. Uh, there were two seats there, but both of those now occupied as well with Pierre Gasly and uh, Yuki Tsunoda. And you kind of think, you know, who's the better driver here, Albon or Tsunoda? Well, Tsunoda might surprise us, but you kind of felt like Albon maybe would have benefited in the same way Gasly did by moving down a team and just kind of having some time with less pressure. But that could still come. And, you know, this is, this is the thing, like, R- Red Bull have... Uh, all these drivers under contract. I don't know the ins and outs of the Perez contracts. It's slightly different, but all the young drivers coming through, it's always the same. You're a Red Bull contracted driver. They decide which of the two teams they're going to put you in or whether you drop out completely. And at the moment, what they have is um, they've got probably one of the best drivers in the grid in Max Verstappen. They've got a guy who can now be used as a barometer to see what's gone wrong in that team in Red Bull, why Alex Albon was struggling so much. Also, really how good Max Verstappen is, and that's Sergio Perez. So he's, a, he's going to be a very valuable tool for them in understanding both that car and what exactly Max is doing, which is allowing him to be so much better than all his teammates. Then they've got Pierre Gasly, who's a guy coming back on form, having had the win this year, and an exciting rookie in Yuki Tsunoda. But then on top of that, they've got another guy who they know, you know, in the right conditions, as we saw in 2019, he can be quick, he can be good. So... Um, that's uh, you know that's a good situation for them to be in. It makes sense for them. Uh, I feel a bit for Alex, but as Nate said, the season just wasn't good enough. You know he was nearly half a second on average off Max Verstappen in qualifying, and at this level, you know against uh, you know against a teammate in a top car, that's that's too big a gap, way too big a gap. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's all it's all worked out, and I think probably the right decision all round. How much does this make um, the the competition, I suppose, from you guys just earlier on out now? How much does it make this a bit more exciting for you in terms of the Red Bull giving the Mercedes a a bit more competition and instead of just waiting for 2022 for new rules to come in and then hoping the playing field gets evened out a bit? Um, I think that's that's the plan from the Red Bull side is that Sergio Perez can come in and all of a sudden they're going to have two cars fighting two cars at the front. We talk about this a lot. It's not always obvious what we mean, but if you're in a situation where, um, as Mercedes, you can make a free early pit stop and drop into a big uh, gap in in the traffic between Max and whoever is fourth, then uh, that gives you a strategic option that wouldn't otherwise be there. But if you stick Sergio Perez in there, in much the way that Albon was in the final race in Abu Dhabi, you take that option away from, uh, from your rivals. So... Or you use that other car to also do a strategic early pit stop, try and push the other team into a mistake with tyre strategy. So if Red Bull continue to make the progress that we've seen this year, there's a big if as to whether they're going to be as competitive as they were in Abu Dhabi throughout next year. I suspect Mercedes are going to take a bigger step. But you know, if they're there or thereabouts, having two drivers that are competitive is going to be a, a massive bonus. And I think also... You know, it's a lot to ask of Alex this year to come into a team and perform on the same level as Max. We know how uh, good he is, but also to offer the kind of feedback that a team like Red Bull probably needs to develop that car. Um, Alex only had a year in um, 
in Toros and Red Bull. And he, apparently his feedback was brilliant. You know, he's very detailed. And, but he just didn't have the experience to draw on. Whereas someone like Perez, you know, he's driven all sorts of different types of cars throughout his career. Um, clearly this year with Racing Point, um, they were able to push that one forward as well. So I think um, for Red Bull, from a engineering perspective as well, it it's probably going to be a, an, an overall net gain in the fight against Mercedes and whatever gain they can get right now they need because that gap, I think, is still going to be pretty big at the start of next year. It's going to be fascinating to see how good Perez actually is as well because this is the thing. You know, it's it, he's always been known as one of the guys in the midfield who is great um, and McLaren, the year he was there, coincided with them being you know on the, on, on a downward spiral. But I'm, I think that's actually one of the most interesting things going into the new season is, is Perez... You know, as good as he looks when he's in a quick, but not the quickest car, uh, or is he going to be shown up by Verstappen? Because if he if he is shown up by Verstappen, then Red Bull look a bit better because it's like, well, every driver we've put in next to Max just can't perform, so it must just be that Max is too good. Or you could still say, is the team just too much geared towards Max? That's what a lot of people say. Um, so yeah, it's going to answer a lot of questions, I think, next year, which is quite fun because um, questions always make uh, a season more fun when you have things that you don't know about. And then just um, quickly before you close out on this news story with Alex Albon now for probably those of our listeners or even like myself that probably don't know what the day-to-day life of a reserve driver would be like. Just what type of, I suppose, you know, will this hinder Alex's development knowing that he's already tasted what life is like at the highest level and then now to go back for a year or for however long, what kind of, what would 2021 start to look like for Alex Albon then? It's definitely not a step forward in his career. This is, you know, not good news for Alex Albon. What it's going to look like is a lot of time in the simulator. Uh, So what the big teams tend to do is, one, they work on developments between races in the simulator. So they'll get simulations from their wind tunnel, from their CFD of what a change is expected to have on the car. They can then simulate that in the simulator with the driver. The driver will give some feedback and then they can start to build um, kind of setups and stuff around this new thing but the other thing they do is take all of their Friday practice data and uh, plug it into the simulator and then the simulator driver will continue to basically run Friday practice overnight into Saturday try and find some uh, setup benefits which will then be put into the car in reality on Saturday morning for the race drivers to then go and qualify with so there's it's a big job um, and it's a job that is carried out at, at all the top teams but it's not one where you're really making progress um, as a racing driver. You're certainly not doing a huge amount for your reputation, which we know is so important in terms of landing a a good drive in Formula One. So it's worked for some drivers. Um, I'm thinking Daniel Kvyat was a good example of that when he went to Ferrari, when his initial Red Bull uh, Toro Rosso time was over. He went to Ferrari and really uh, impressed them there and then actually came back into the fold with Toro Rosso off the back of that, he's now actually worked his way back out of Formula One. So just, uh, it, you know, that, that's a sign of how difficult these things are. You know, you can make a good reputation for yourself as a development driver or a test driver, but then you can get um, pushed right back out of the uh, the race situation again. So, you know, there's a career there, that there's potential there, but I can't think of many drivers who kind of had this kind of step back in their career and then came back and became a world champion. Um, even in the days when we had... Uh, permanent kind of like test drivers, test drivers who would actually go and take the car on track in reality. Felipe Massa was an example of that when he, he did um, one year at Sauber, looked really erratic, 
um, went to Ferrari as a test driver uh, and then came back into the fold and eventually became a Ferrari race driver as well. So that's kind of like the best case scenario kind of thing, but really it's not a step forward um, or a great sign for the development of a driver to lose that race seat. But Alex has, you know, he's just got to stick to what he knows he can do. We've heard guys like George Russell talk him up this year about how good a driver he is and how maybe silly he was being made to look because of the way that car handled or because they couldn't get their head around certain aspects of the setup and engineering to suit him. So, you know, maybe there's enough talent there that he does come back and, and, and push. But like I said, I, I guess the, the one benefit is he's still under that Red Bull contract. And if one of those four drivers slips up, if Perez doesn't perform on the level that they expect, if Sonoda doesn't perform on the level they expect, Gasly, I think we all know Max is probably going to perform on the level they expect. But um, if any of those drivers slip up, he's there as a ready-made replacement to slot in. So it's probably better than some situations you could be in. You know, if you get kicked out of, say, Haas, like Grosjean and Magnussen are, you don't really see an obvious route back into Formula 1. Whereas for Albon, the door's kind of still half open. He's just got to hope that, uh, you know, maybe somebody else makes a mistake and then he can take their place. Ah, it's a dog-eat-dog world, isn't it? Oh, a tough world indeed. But as we've said, we do mad respect Alex Albon's talents and hopefully we do see him back sometime soon. But there has been a lot more um, driver movement as well. Um, Lawrence just hinted at uh, Daniel Kvyat at AlphaTauri. He's been replaced by Yuki Sonoda. Nate, do you want to tell us about that prospect? How excited are you for that one and from what we'll see from this young driver? Yeah, it's quite an exciting one. And it goes against the kind of, I suppose, the tried and tested route for a lot of young drivers, which is staying in F2 beyond your rookie season. You know, often you see drivers get better in their second year. But with Sonoda, they've kind of brought him straight into the fold. And the easier thing, Lawrence kind of alluded to it, the easier thing would have been to leave him there and let Albon drop back to AlphaTauri. So obviously, um, there's a lot expected of him. And I'm quite curious to see what he does. I mean, Gasly is going to be a, a big benchmark to, to go up against. Um, and yeah, I'll be completely honest with you. I haven't followed much of his... I've obviously seen F2 and you've made notes of how he's done, but I've only ever heard other people talking about him and it seems to be glowing praise. Like, there's a lot of excitement around just kind of his raw pace. Um, so yeah, it might be one of those that kind of goes under the radar and then he turns into being a you know a star in the future. But um, certainly amidst all the Perez news, it seemed to kind of go under the radar a little bit that he had been signed. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's kind of cool. It's always cool when there's a you know young talent on the grid. We've talked a lot about Mick Schumacher as well. Um, but Sonoda's right there as well, so it's going to be quite a packed rookie class next season. Lawrence, you excited as well? Yeah, um, I, I think it, it is an interesting one because he, he's definitely quick. Uh, he finished third in his rookie season in Formula 2, and I think that's quite impressive when you look at of the, the drivers he was up against, a lot of them in their second year in Formula 2 already. So there's definitely talent there. I, I do wonder whether, you know, he's he's been slightly rushed through, but um, there's the Honda link as well. Of course, he's backed by Honda, which are in Formula 1 for one final year next year before they uh, move out. And we're expecting Red Bull to take over the IP on that engine and continue to use it going forward, as long as everything falls into place. So... Um, yeah, I, I do wonder the exact uh, reasons for it, and, and perhaps the yeah, how wise it is to to push him straight into into Formula One. But he's done tests with AlphaTauri; they believe he's ready. Um, it, it's a funny one because uh, when Red Bull were explaining why Gasly 
wasn't being considered for a Red Bull drive again, they were saying, well, Alpha Tauri is no longer a junior team, it's a sister team. You know, we're, we're seeing it on the same level as Red Bull, albeit with a smaller budget and everything. Yeah, it's still clearly being used to bring in young drivers like Sonoda. You know, I mean, if, if, if Alpha Tauri really wanted the best driver lineup possible out there that they were convinced by, I would have thought Albon coming back down and doing what he did in early 2019 again in that car alongside Gasly would be, would be a better step. So it's an interesting one, but this is the weird world of the Red Bull young driver development program. And um, it's not always one that uh, I think you can fully understand and appreciate from the outside. Um, but there's definitely raw talent there with Sonoda. You know, we're not talking about a kid who's, um, you know, there for all the wrong reasons. He's there for, you know, for, for good reasons. So, um, yeah, I, I hope he, he, he does well. And against Pierre Gasly, if Gasly continues on the same form that he had this year, we're going to see a, a pretty good benchmark. So, um, yeah, it'll become quite clear, I think, you know, through the second half of this year, how good Sonoda is and whether he's, he's got the potential to, to push further up into Formula 1. Perfect. Well, um, we've all been waiting for certain news as well from Mercedes and they have been involved in some news stories this week, but I suppose of a different kind, not quite the one that we were expecting. Lawrence, probably you could tell us a bit more on it as a British chemical company, Ineos. I hope I got it right. I've been practicing how to say their name. They've acquired a couple of shares in Mercedes. So what's the deal there? What does it affect? What does it change, if anything at all? Yeah, it's it's quite big news. They they have quite a third of the Formula One team. So the ownership is now split a third Ineos, a third Daimler, which is the parent company of Mercedes, and a third Toto Wolf, um, who already had thirty percent but now has thirty three point three. So it's um yeah, it's a bit of a change. I don't think you'll necessarily notice it from the outside. Um but there's quite a lot going going on there what one that Daimler uh, has obviously cashed in a little bit on the investment in the Mercedes Formula One team we don't know how much money Ineos bought the shares for but clearly that's um, you know Daimler getting a bit of money back on their original investment in the Formula One team which has been huge over the past few years um, but then also the fact that you've got a brand like Ineos Ineos also own the Nice football team um, they own the what used to be the Team Sky cycling team, uh, and they are big supporters of uh, the Ineos sailing team as well, which is Ben Ainsley's sailing team. So they've got lots of interest in sports around and about. And, you know, these are investments, one, to promote their brand, obviously, um, that's a big part of it. And they will continue with sponsorship on the car like they had uh, uh, last year, or this year, sorry. Um, so there's that, but, you know, that, that says a lot because... One of the objectives of Formula One has been to turn these Formula One teams into franchises, you know, things that can actually make money, things that are valuable assets um, to own. And uh, the fact that Ineos have come in suggests that that plan is actually starting to work. People are looking at the budget cap in Formula One and they're thinking, well, if that's capped there, then perhaps there's potential to make profit out of, you know, all the other things. And then there's the technology side of it as well. The budget cap has meant that the biggest teams, Ferrari, Red Bull and Mercedes have had to look at their workforce and figure out what they're going to do with them because they just cannot fit all of that into the budget cap. So we're looking at applied technologies, applied sciences, depending on what you want to call it. So um, Mercedes have helped work on the Ineos uh, sailing team. I think, you know, they're probably going to look at the cycling team. Uh, so there's going to be a few cross 
kind of ventures there and then also trying to sell that technology wider as well. So the whole basis of a Formula One team is changing very quickly in, in, in at the moment from something that just goes racing to something that can do potentially a, a lot more. So that's interesting. The, the other big uh, side to that announcement was that Toto Wolff has committed for another three years as CEO and team principal. Um, probably not a big surprise there. We've talked about this before on the podcast, but um, you know that's a significant step for the team. I think it's a good thing for the team that they've got that stability there. So no matter what happens with the regulation change in 22, no matter what happens with Lewis's contract going forward, which we still don't know, uh, they know they're going to have Toto there for at least three years. And then at that point, he's going to look at probably taking a more executive role, a slightly more hands-off role. And I think at that point, they'll start to look at the replacement. But um, it's, it, I think overall, it's, it's good news for Mercedes, you know, um, as the Formula One team, uh, even though Daimler has sold pretty much half of its shares uh, in the team. I, I don't think that's a negative thing. It's still going to be the Mercedes team and uh, it's still going to have um, the Mercedes back in. So interesting times in Formula One. And, you know, I think this is just uh, indicative of, of what we might see across more teams going forward as well. Different partnerships coming in and, um, yeah, different ownership structures because uh, hopefully these teams can start to make money rather than just suck up the money of a car manufacturer and, uh, and yeah, um, you know, uh, just to make two cars go around on Sunday afternoon, which was never a particularly good business model. Right, well, that pretty much takes care of all of the newsy bits. Now it's time to get into the fun bits because it is Christmas, the coronavirus Christmas and tier four here in London. But that doesn't mean that we can't ask Mariah Carey for some more Christmas wishes. But now I'm actually going to ask you guys to get in the role of Mariah Carey or Santa Claus, whoever you want to ask your Christmas wishes to. And we're going to talk about your naughty list and your nice list. But we're going to start off with the naughty list, which is the worst of 2020. Three categories. Who wants to go first? I've done a lot of talking. Nate can go first. All yeah, right, I'll go, I'll go I was going to go with Nathaniel anyway. I tend to be the more negative of the two of us anyway, so I can <laughs> I can take the naughty one. Oh, okay. So we're going to go with Nate's worst of 2020. This is Nate's naughty list. Nate, what was your worst race? Uh, so that was either, I would say, Abu Dhabi. And I know it was the most recent one, but it was just awful. Um, and I couldn't think of many worse than that. I um, thought you were honestly going to go for... <laughs> for the Russian Grand Prix well that's a close because. that's a close second but I didn't want to just be anti-Russia um, no I think I think I think Abu Dhabi was especially bad um, and just I and maybe I think by the end of the year everyone was kind of you know the championship was done it felt like everyone was just kind of like let's just get this this one done but um, that was pretty underwhelming Russia was bad as well um, and yeah and that kind of speaks a lot about those two circuits right that they're just not I don't think they're great circuits and you're not going to get great racing if you keep going to places like that. So, so well, yeah, Abu Dhabi, but honourable mention or dishonourable mention to Sochi. <laughs> we definitely know how you and Juan Manuel Correa feel about <laughs> Sochi for sure. Mm. So we will definitely give that one. So you have got Abu Dhabi on your naughty list. What about a driver now? Who has been, I suppose, your worst driver of the year? <laughs> so I was writing this down and I was like, there's a lot of people I can say and I know that Lawrence is going to completely disagree with me, but the context of their season 
you have to take the car into account. So I'm going to say it was Bottas. I just don't think... I know why Mercedes are keeping Bottas. I know I think he's done an admirable job in terms of, you know, scoring points he needs to. But he was also massively off the pace of Lewis. He had one of the best cars of all time. And, yeah, especially in the second half of the season, he just wasn't there. Uh, I wrote I wrote Bottas slash Albon, and Albon would have been the same reason. Just didn't perform when he had the car too. You know, you can talk about guys... I mean, Latifi looked pretty useless all season um, but is in the worst car and I don't think we really expected much of him so if you take into account expectations as well um, you know I'm probably being very fair on Sebastian Vettel not giving it to him um, but yeah I would I would say I'd say Bottas and I think the championship could have been closer um, could have been much closer and it wasn't and that was more on Bottas than on Hamilton fair place to that one and then finally worst team which team makes your naughty list I think this has got to be Ferrari, hasn't it? And um, I think, and by extension, Haas and Alfa Romeo as well were just pretty bad. Um, I know that they had some, a few good moments. There was about three podiums through the year, um, but for a team like Ferrari, that's pretty embarrassing. When you look at the amount of money Ferrari gets every year just for showing up, um, to be that bad is yeah, it's just awful. Um, and um, yeah, Vettel was especially bad. But I think it's hard to come up with a team that were worse than... I know Williams were the worst team on track, but we kind of know that, that they're in the position they're in. Ferrari, we would, you know, end of last season, we were like, well, Ferrari, you know, they look pretty good. Winter testing, we still weren't really sure. And then we saw how far off the pace they were. So, yeah, I think by a country mile, this is probably the worst Ferrari season I've, I can remember seeing. Uh, it felt like they were just like a regular midfield team, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how the big three turned into just the big two I guess or really the big one (laughs) but that's exactly what happened in uh, unprecedented 2020 Lawrence let's pick your naughty list apart as well Um, because I'm interested to see who you'll say for worst driver but let's start off with worst race for you which track or which I guess uneventful race made your naughty list well Nate's two picks are pretty good um, but the other particularly dull ones were the Spanish Grand Prix and the Belgian Grand Prix and I think I'm going to go for the Belgian Grand Prix because we expect so much more. Spa is such a brilliant circuit and it was a bit of a nothing race. Um, so, you know, the gaps between the drivers were pretty big. It was a Mercedes 1-2. It didn't really offer much excitement. I think the only thing that came out of it was that it was the start of Renault's resurgence, which kind of made that midfield battle a bit more exciting by the end of the year. But, um, yeah, just because of the expectation. We, know, we always know Sochi's not going to be a great race. We always know Abu Dhabi's not going to be a great race. Same is true of Barcelona, but Spa, we expect so much, and yet it wasn't brilliant. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Belgian Grand Prix for that one. Next one now. Which naughty driver makes your naughty list just for simply underperforming this year? Well, if you yeah, if I were to pick who who's the worst driver, of the drivers that did the full season and everything, um, I, I think Latifi's performance uh, wasn't of the standard that you probably want in Formula One. We know he's there with money um, and the gap to George Russell, who we saw is actually an incredibly good driver by the end of it. You know, we, we saw just how brilliant he is. Um, but still, Latifi was pretty average throughout. And I actually, I think maybe that Williams was was capable of scoring a point here or there. You know, Russell let, let one go, certainly. Um, but yeah, Latifi just never really looked like he was going to be in the mix for it. So, um He's, he's probably the worst driver all, but the uh, disappointment has to be Albon. Um, you know, I, I think we all kind of thought that this would be a, a good year for him to progress and he just never 
adapted to that car and it did seem like it was an incredibly difficult car to drive but you look at the very best drivers in formula one and they always make changes and adapt and you know you talk about drivers underperforming and nate said bottas because he had the best car well albon had the second best car and underperformed on a much greater level you know like i said earlier his gap to his teammate on average in qualifying was nearly half a second gap between bottas and hamilton was uh, less than a tenth on average you know so bottas was close it's just that things went against him whereas albon was consistently a long way away and that isn't really acceptable and, and the other driver who again i'm going <laughs> to resurface his name is sebastian vettel because um his his gap to Leclerc was even bigger. I think it was more like zero point seven five seconds uh, over the course of a year on average in qualifying. That is huge, and we know Leclerc again is a very good driver, but yeah, for a four time world champion, you know that that's verging on embarrassing. And we saw again all those same mistakes, the spins that have characterised so much of his season lately. Uh, sorry, so much of his career lately. And uh, yeah, it's it it really wasn't wasn't good enough. So. Um, those are my three, um, and uh, yeah, two, two of them actually staying in F1, Vettel and, and Latifi and Albon uh, is going, but it's kind of hard to argue against that when you, when you look at the quality of the season. But even with Seb, I feel like, do you, do you not have like even a tiny smithering of like sympathy just because for so much of this season, a, a lot of people, or at least the fans, supporters, just viewers of F1, just felt that it was almost... Ferrari against him, you know, obviously, like, and just doing everything they could to salvage the season for Charles Leclerc. But Seb, it was like, well, you're not really in our plans anyway. So everything that, you know, can go wrong just went wrong. Um, yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. Like, there were some questionable strategies and, and stuff like that. But he was in that position because the performance wasn't there. And it's a bit like Albon. They would take punts on strategies because... They were left with no other choice. It was either let's go with something wild and see if it works or let's just finish outside the points. And, you know, I, I think, OK, I don't know the exact politics of what's going on at Ferrari uh, between Vettel and him, uh, Vettel and the team and, and exactly how much that deteriorated this year. But, you know, Vettel had the chance to lead Ferrari to titles, at least very good title challenges in 2017 and 2018. And so was it a surprise when Ferrari turned around and said, we're not going to renew his contract? No. Did they deal with it the right way? I don't think they did. I think Seb is a really nice guy and deserved to be treated better in the, at the start of the year, as we've said before, they were parading him as their first choice for 2021. And then it turned out when the season properly got underway that they were never considering him for 2021 because they were already in conversations with Carlos Sainz. So I think he wasn't treated particularly well by Ferrari. And of course, that probably didn't help with his overall results. But for a four-time world champion to be performing on that level, you know, I just can't imagine if it was Lewis Hamilton in that car, him being outperformed by Leclerc on that level, no matter what was going on in the team, he would have made sure, absolutely, he would have found a way to do better. And I can't understand what it is about Seb at the moment because... Personally, he seems like in a, you know, he, he doesn't seem mentally broken or anything. You know, it seems like he's he, he's in a good position in his life and everything. And, you know, he's going to go to Aston Martin next year. And I think that probably will help. But the the on-track performance and the mistakes on track are just pretty unforgivable for a driver um, of his of his standard. We know how good he can be and he just wasn't there. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I feel for him a bit. And I think the situation with Ferrari is probably not 
as great as it could be. And, uh, and that's definitely, there's two sides to that story, but still, you know, he just did not perform and it, he had to do better this year. He, he really did. And he's, to be honest, he's lucky he's got a drive for next year because Racing Point, you know, given the choice between Perez and Vettel, I still don't know how they came to the conclusion that, that, that Vettel was a better choice, but they did. Now, I know you definitely want to be invited back to all of the Ferrari launches, so I probably don't have to get you to go into detail as to why Ferrari is on your naughty list for worst team of the year. Am I right? Because I kind of want to get to Nate because Nate was snickering over there when you were listing off your worst driver um, list, I suppose, even though we do have space for just one. But um, I think it is a Christmas miracle how Valtteri has not managed to break you how he broke Nate in 2020. But Nate, do you want to elaborate? Oh, that rhymed. Um, on some of your snickering there. <laughs> no, it was, I think what Lawrence said was fair. It's just, you know, it's been consistent all season. I've been very, you know, very, probably very critical of Bottas and Lawrence always finds, and, you know, he was closer to Lewis in qualifying. Lawrence, you know, that, that is true. But you don't get any, you know, qualifying is pretty irrelevant if you don't do anything on the race. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm probably I'm probably just being a bit miserable about Bottas, but that's where that's the that's the state of things. That's where I am with him now. So <laughs> you broke it. It's okay. Hey, and and if if he does better next year, I'll be the first one to say like you know I was harsh on him this year, and I hope I hope he does put me in a situation where I can say that. But you know, he's also to to say what Lawrence said about having chances. Bottas has had a you know years at Mercedes and really hasn't done the same that we saw Nico Rosberg do against Lewis. So you know. Um, yeah, I think that's where that comes from. But I also agree with everything Lawrence said about Vettel. Very lucky to still be in F1 compared to Paris, uh, what happened with Perez. Can't wait for Bottas to um, to win another race and and deliver another message to the haters and just direct it at Nate. Because <laughs> even when he did that, Nate wasn't impressed. <laughs> well, yeah, that. But that was it. Was it just didn't sit well because it was like yeah. it was a race where like. You know, I, I can't remember the circumstances now of that. Um, was it was that... by default. It was when Lewis got taken out, wasn't he? It was in Russia, so, so Lewis had the penalty. That's yeah. right. To the yeah. race. and like, and fair play, like a win is a win. But like, Bottas was talking as if he'd like kind of come back from last to win, and I just thought, well, you know, he was already so far behind the championship. So I have no doubts he'll win. He'll win a handful of races next season, but it's just it's not going to be enough. It will be, you know, it will be the same old. It'll be a few race wins. He'll probably win one of the first ones, and then, you know, people will write, "Oh, is Bottas? You know, is this the year that Bottas wins?" And it won't be, you know, you can kind of check all the boxes now with him. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I don't think that Bottas is going to win next year. But I just don't think, if you look statistically at his season and the reasons behind it, and the bad luck he had, and the remarkable run that Lewis had up until he caught COVID, um. You know, it, it, everything went in, in Lewis's favour. And that is actually very similar to the Rosberg-Hamilton rivalries of 2014 and 15. You know, ultimately, I mean, OK, 2014, it went down to the final race, but that was only a double points thing. But 15, he was absolutely trounced by Lewis. You know, it, it, was, it was similar to these seasons now. And then the thing that changed in 16 was that uh, Lewis had this big run of bad luck, mechanical issues on the car early in the season, um, a very significant engine failure in Malaysia that year. Uh, then a lot of those early season failures turned into grid penalties later in the year. 
And so that's the kind of thing that you need to beat Lewis. I, I, I'm of the opinion that Lewis is that good that it's so hard to beat him as a teammate in equal, equal machinery. And Rosberg had things that went for him. So Bottas hasn't had that yet. I think if we saw that, if we saw him be able to build up that early momentum, uh, it's clear that uh, he kind of struggles with the, with the mental side of it to some extent. He, he almost admitted as much at, at the final race that you know going up against Lewis year after year and being beaten year after year is a really hard thing to digest and turn into positive results and turn into a positive mental attitude every every weekend. But I think if he got the start to the season that Rosberg got in 2016, then we might see a slightly different battle. But um, the one thing which it seems he's not willing to do is all the little mind games that Rosberg played along the way um, with Lewis and... Uh, I guess maybe that could be that could be the difference, but I don't think Bottas is about to go and win the championship next year. But I'd also say if you look at the pure statistics of how fast he was this year, when things went wrong, how they went wrong, Silverstone, that tire failure, and you add all that together, you start to get a clearer picture of what went wrong for Bottas rather than just the point standings this year and the fact he's just plain slow. But you know, I, I think that's an unfair criticism of Bottas, whereas that is a criticism you could put at Albon or Vettel this year or Latifi. So that's why those three are in, in my bottom three. And Bottas is slightly above, uh, just kind of, you know, staying out of relegation or whatever you want to call it in a football team. All right, fair play. Well, enough of the naughties. Let's talk about all the niceness that went on in 2020. Because um, believe it or not, there was at least some niceness. Let's find out the best of the best from both you guys. Let's start off with Nate once again. Nate, your best race or track, I suppose. It could be a combination of both too. Uh, I think Turkey for me was the best one. Um, there was a lot of good candidates this year, actually. But Turkey kind of had, had everything you want it, I think a lot of best races in F1, for better or for worse, are when you have changing conditions or, you know, an element of rain. Um, and it was nice because you, you it really capped Lewis's season in a perfect way, like just such a great performance from him to come through and win. Um, but you also had that drama late on. I mean, there was a big fight for third. There was, you know, drama throughout the field. You don't, you know, every lap somebody was spinning. Um, and yeah, it was just nice to see a good, a good circuit back as well with Turkey. So I, I would pick that one. All right, so Nate's going for Turkey for that one. Nate, best driver. Hit me with it. So I was really struggling to think of this uh, or pick one of these of these three, I guess. Uh, oh. So two of them are the first-time race winners of Gasly and Perez because I think if even if you take the wins away, they still had super impressive campaigns and then the wins kind of topped them off and put them over the edge, uh, you know, uh, over the line of being one of the best drivers of the year. Um, but also, when you actually look back at his season, and he had a couple of podiums sprinkled in there, and you look how good he was across the season, Danny Ricciardo had an awesome year, and I think was quietly one of the better performers out there. Um, and again, just kind of showed you, showed everyone what, you know, what he could do if he had a car that was closer to the front, etc., etc. So, I'm going to put it in a top three. Uh, I would put Ricardo third, Perez second, and I'd say Pierre Gasly was the guy for me this year. He after Monza things maybe tailed off a little bit, but mm. he was still performing at a super high level. And to win in that car, uh, in the way that he did, uh, was pretty impressive. And um yeah, I think it was I think it was superb. Um and stunning that he's still 
at that team and that Red Bull, you know, didn't see didn't fit to promote him, him up. Um, but, you know, at least they picked one of the people from my top three. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, so I would say I would say Gasly, but close between those three. Obviously, you know, I, I, I think Lewis Hamilton also is probably what Lawrence will say quite rightly, but I thought, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd give some other guys some some credit as well from from away from that front end because Lewis did have an awesome year but for me Gasly was the guy that you were like wow like what a what a talent and really just changed his perceptional season and finally best team best team's a real tricky one um, because the midfield fight was kind of skewed a bit by you know racing point losing points in the year they also lost Perez for two races Um, but I was impressed with how McLaren performed all season um, I I don't know. I was really on the fence with this one as much as I've been on the fence with the other things, and it's just a really difficult one to um to to yeah. I'm gonna say McLaren just purely because they won that they won that fight at the end, but there there were obviously circumstances behind that. But McLaren just looks to be in a really strong position going to this new spell with uh, Mercedes power. Obviously, again, Mercedes did very well, but I'm trying not to be boring and just giving it to the the guys at the front. Um, and yeah, and McLaren, um, strong start, fairly strong finish to the season. Um, so hopefully we get to see more of that next season with Norris and Ricardo there. All right, Lawrence, it is your time for your nice list. Who makes it starting with the best race or track for you? Um, I would go with the the most pleasant surprise of, of the new tracks. And that was the Sakir short circuit because it was so different to everything else we have in Formula One in that, you know, it, it really is just four four corners, essentially, and a wiggly bit connecting two of them. Um, but it works so well, you know, and I think it's, it, it's something that we can really take from and learn from going forward is that, um, you know, it's important to have a mix of really kind of iconic classic tracks like Spa, but then also have some circuits which are just different. You know, they're, they're just odd and uh, and they present a different challenge and I think uh, that's exactly what Sakir did I know a number of the drivers weren't that thrilled by it but um but I, I really do think it was um it was a good addition to the calendar and like I said a big surprise the other one honorable mention in for Mugello just because I thought that place was was mega as well and also a nice surprise on a track where you look at it on paper and everyone said there'll be no overtaking there and then we saw turn one the opportunity to take two different lines through there almost like an outside NASCAR style line and an inside line and uh, and you've got proper exciting racing there so those are the two but if I was going to give it to one I'd give it to uh, Sakir just because it, it, it was a great Grand Prix and um, yeah an interesting challenge for the, for the teams and now a juicy one who makes your list you only have place for one on this nice list granted we could do like Nate and get a top three but you will have to rank them but who is your best driver of 2020? Um, yeah, I'm going to be boring and say Lewis Hamilton, <laughs> but only because I think it is so easy to just gloss over what he's achieved this year and look for something else. But, you know, when you talk to people who are maybe not that interested in Formula One, the name Lewis Hamilton resonates and they realise he's done something very special this year not just on the track, but also off the track as well. You know, he's campaigned for a number of incredibly important issues and he's done it very eloquently and, and with, with real styles. So for me, there's no question about it. Not only is he 
the best driver at the moment and there's some drivers who are clearly possibly as quick possibly um as aggressive in overtaking possibly kind of have the measure of the tires in the same way but as an overall package not one of them i think has exactly what lewis has now and i think if you put any of them in the car next to them next to lewis uh they wouldn't beat him a number of them would definitely run him close uh a number of them would definitely run him closer than bottas i think but um i think as an overall package he can't be beat so pretty boring answer but i think it's important not to gloss over the fact of what an incredible year this has been for lewis and uh, and what he's achieved um if i'm going to add a couple more onto onto that list uh i'd like to add george russell and i think i was saying this before the sakir grand prix that you know it was clear that he is exceptionally talented uh, had this remarkable qualifying record arguably against drivers who weren't that good you know latifi's been his teammate last year um robert kubica on his comeback year that never really clicked into place um the year before but you can only beat who you're up against and in a Williams unfortunately you're only really up against your teammate but again and again and again he was nine times in Q2 this year so nine times made out of the bottom five in qualifying in a car that clearly had improvements on the previous year but still wasn't great so you know if we now talk about the future of Formula One he's added his name to that and we're talking Verstappen, Leclerc and Russell in my opinion Yes, Gasly's come back and he's been impressive. You know, yes, Ricardo's reminded us at times of what a brilliant driver he is and I'd really like to see him in a top car. Uh, and, you know, Perez, we always knew, was, was, was a solid runner and, you know, did very, very well again this year. Incredibly consistent. But if you look at drivers who you think, right, this guy, I'm going to put money on to be a star of the future, um, I'd say Russell is the one that's, that's really stood out. Um, so, yeah, he, he's up there too. All right. I have no arguments with your two choices there. Um, but best team now, are you going to go the obvious route and stick with Mercedes? Or do you have a surprise off your sleeve? Who makes your nice list for best team? Um, so I'm going to say Mercedes um, because they just dominated the sport. How can you not say Mercedes? Everybody else is not performing on the level they should. And there's lots of reasons for that long-term investment things. You know, it's a reason maybe McLaren were off the pace. Uh, but even last year's Mercedes in the form of the racing point was good enough. Uh, well, should have been good enough to finish third in the Constructors' Championship had they not had those points taken off them for the controversy around the brake ducts, which were a little bit too similar to... Uh, last year's Mercedes so you know what I mean it's um it's I, I, I don't know how you, you can look at this year and say that anybody else has has done as well as that team given where they started yes McLaren have made progress but you know they're making progress from a situation that they should never have been in in the first place um Red Bull uh I think it often gets overlooked but they've massively underperformed this year they should have been taking the fight to Mercedes on the basis of the previous year you know, they, they, they should have accelerated um, ahead and kind of caught up with Mercedes, but they didn't. Yet yeah, Mercedes didn't rest on their laurels. They didn't take last year's car and just kind of, you know, oh, we'll slightly change this and that. They made some really big, bold decisions in their car design. DAS is the obvious one, but the rear suspension was another one. Um, aerodynamically, they stuck to their guns with a concept that they have 
proven is, is arguably you know, the best concept within these regulations. And for years, every other team was following a different path, which was the Red Bull approach, which you know, has clearly led to issues for Red Bull this year. The year that Racing Point changed their aerodynamic concept from a Red Bull-style approach to a Mercedes-style approach, they moved from whatever it was, sixth in the standings, up to what should have been third, but became fourth when they had the points taken away. So you look at all these things and, you know, they're, they're just leading the way. And, you know, as much as I'd like to give you a surprise <laughs> reason or, a, a, you know, a surprise team that uh, that could be in some way argued as doing a better job, it's just really difficult because Mercedes are on that level. Um, we'll have to see what happens next year. Um, but really, in, until the rivals come up again, Against them and kind of performance they should do. I'm thinking Rebel and Ferrari specifically from a budget point of view. Then, uh, then if Mercedes continue like this, it's really hard to say that you know they've got it wrong or they they're not the best team in Formula One because they are. But, <laughs> it's as simple as that. <laughs> they, they won enough races to to make sure of that. So, yeah. Fair place. Sorry for the boring answer. Someone has to be politically correct. Don't worry about that. We're glad that it's you. And then now before we start to wrap things up for the year for 2020, peace out. We definitely don't want to see you again, 2020. But um, we did get a couple of surprises. Most surprising moment for you guys um, before I get your final wishes for 2021. And then we wrap things up. Nate, what was your most surprising moment? I think it's got to be it's got to be Gasly winning or I would say George Russell doing as well as he did in Sakir. Um I'm I think still not Gas- over the George Russell thing, but it's okay. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think Gasly still wins just given the car and given the fact that even midway through the race, it didn't. You wouldn't, have, you know, even when they were doing the restart, you're like, well, you know, surely, surely this is going to change, you know, uh, how it is. So, for me, that was the one that shocked me. Uh, like genuinely, I remember that day just being like, I can't believe that happened. Um, so I will pick, I'll pick that. So it's two Gaslys for me in my list. Yeah, that's the most surprising result. Um, I'm going to slightly skew the question and to take Ooh. a different answer, um, just so that we're not, not repeating ourselves. And I'm going to say the moment, the most surprising moment was the moment Grosjean climbed out of that fireball because when I saw that initially on TV, I think like a lot of people watching it, I really feared the worst and I did not expect to see a driver climbing out of that kind of accident. I didn't expect to see that kind of accident, but I yeah. certainly didn't expect to see a driver survive it. So... It was also probably the most positive moment of, of the season because, uh, you know, I think we talked about this uh, in the aftermath. If a number of things had gone slightly differently in those milliseconds of how that car hit the barrier and, you know, the way it got stuck and everything. And then if you listen to Grosjean's account of how he got out of the car and how initially he felt that he was stuck, that was remarkable. So um, surprising for all the right reasons. And um, yeah, probably the moment which I think when I look back at the 2020 season, uh, if somebody says, you know, what, what was the thing that, um, you know, you remember from that year, it's, it's probably going to be that. And, you know, we've got some big contenders there, like the Gasly win, uh, arguably the Perez win, Lewis breaking Schumacher's records. But that's the kind of thing which I think is going to stay in, in, in my mind for a very, very long time. Um, a, a, a something that was remarkable, but thankfully came through so yeah there you go slightly different answer sorry if we didn't answer the question properly no it's fine it all goes well that's it guys that's a wrap 2020 f1 at least is completed um 
final thoughts before we wrap out this year and hope that 2021 is a year with more racing and probably more in-person appearances that we could do at some of these because I've yet to go to one which is what breaks my heart the most well I think that's what we're all hoping for is that we have a season a normal season I mean as as, as brilliant as 2020 has been on track uh, at times and you know it's been great to go and see some different venues we would have changed it all for a you know a healthy year in which there was no coronavirus and we'd had our whatever it was 22 races we were supposed to have um so yeah, and and then for next year, I think really the big hope is that is that Red Bull do perform um, as they have shown they can do towards the end of this season, and continue in that form and take the fight to Mercedes because um, we had a lot in twenty twenty, but the one thing we didn't have was a proper title battle. So imagine if we had Max Verstappen versus Lewis Hamilton, both in competitive cars, perhaps cars that are slightly suited to different types of tracks, so we could go through a year and kind of you know, have something really exciting to talk about every weekend as to as to who's going to win this race because I think all too often we've turned up at races, uh, not just this year, but for the past seven years really and known who's going to win or who's most likely to win. So um, yeah, that, that would be my hope for, for 21 is that we, uh, we have a season that isn't impacted by the virus and the virus um, is no longer an issue for the world and, uh, and then we have Red Bull <laughs> challenge Mercedes. In that order, I'd have to add, the virus can go first. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that would be the better part. Nate? Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, from an F1 perspective, you know, if the championship can at least go to the penultimate round, that would be nice because um, Lewis keeps wrapping it up really early. Um, and yeah, like there was a lot of new faces on the podium this year. So if that can continue next year, if we can still have a nice mix of drivers, you know, getting on the podium, maybe challenging for wins... Um, that would be nice as well uh, so we'll see that's all for today and this year so thanks to everyone who's tuned in to listen every week we thank you for all your support this year keep your ears peeled though for new episodes of the ESPN Formula 1 podcast and until then have a happy healthy Christmas and a happy new year <laughs>